right, let's begin with a word of prayer. Most gracious God, we give thanks for the joy and blessings that you grant to husbands and wives. Assist them always by your grace, that with true fidelity and steadfast love, they may honor and keep their marriage vows, grow in love toward you and for each other, and come at last to the eternal joys that you have promised through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Um, we are con- continuing Lutheranism 101. New topic. Uh, hopefully, you didn't get too worn out on denominations. I thought it was a lot of fun, at least. Um, but new topic is marriage, uh, or Christian marriage, or biblical marriage. Um, we'll talk later about how marriage exists both in church and state, and uh, who regulates marriage. I didn't. I didn't bring the book with me. Um, but I am kind of following the outline of the Lutheranism 101 book, so you can you can follow along in that if you want. I recommend you read it. It's a pretty good chapter. I, I read it a couple times um, yesterday and today, and um, really didn't have any problems with it except that it doesn't address some things I'm going to address, but uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, I'm going to pass out a handout um, from a book, a copy I made from a book that I have, um, the the book is called For Better or For Worse, and it's by Walter A. Meyer, uh, the first, yeah, Wham Wham one, and uh, it you know, Wham one, Walter A. Meyer the first lived in the 19 early early 20th century. Um, I think the book was written in the 30s, and that was you know when people wrote books longer than 100 pages. And uh, so it's this tome on Christian marriage. Um, it's called for no, it's called for better, not for worse. For better, not for worse is what it's called. And um, it's about this thick. It's on my desk in my office. You can't borrow it because I I don't know if I can get another copy. Um, I mean, you can borrow it, but you have to give it back. But uh, it's a great book. Um, I've used it a lot in my ministry and uh, in thinking about marriage. So if you want more than three pages on Christian marriage. Uh, you can probably find it on eBay or something like that, or maybe like Abe's Books, a used book thing, but For Better, Not For Worse by Walter Myers. Fantastic. Um, anyhow, uh, I'll get to that handout in a minute, or maybe we can start with it. But before we kind of get going here, I want to open just by talking briefly about... Um, a couple conceptual things with marriage, and that's that one of the th- one of the things that we'll talk about a lot is uh, the that marriage is meant for blessing, and uh, that this is uh, a good thing, a very good thing. Oh God, good God, um, it is a God thing too, but that this is a good blessing, and. I want to focus on all of the goodness of marriage before we get to marriage issues or mar- problems that come up with marriage. We're, we're going to talk about those things, and we need to talk about those things. But there, I, I, I feel like the discourse around marriage today in um, Christian circles and you know on social media and uh, everything is so focused on all the problems, right? We got, there's all, it's, uh, well, what does um, the church think about homosexual marriage and uh, what about divorce and remarriage and what about uh, fertility issues and all these, all these things that come up? There's, there's so many like issues or problems that arise uh, surrounding marriage, but there's more to say biblically about the blessings of marriage than there is to say about the, the problems that come up with marriage, right? Uh, sin corrupts uh, people, and marriage is given for people in God's creation. And so, of course, marriage gets corrupted too in these various ways. But before we talk about those things, that's going to be the last thing we talk about. So uh, that's just kind of what I wanted to start out with is that marriage is good. And, and marriage is a, a divine blessing. And so um, we're going to start 
we're going to talk about what is marriage and and all these things, what God intends for marriage. Uh, but but really, all of that is good and exciting, right? And um, the other conceptual thing that I wanted to talk about, other than kind of taking a positive approach before addressing the negative things, is when we do get to the negative things and also with the good things, uh, is this idea of um, conforming to God's word. This is something I've talked about before that the Christian church throughout history will end up with blind spots. So um, I think each generation in the church will, as culture changes, right? Culture is continually changing around us. The world is continually changing around us. The natural thing to do and uh, especially in a place like America, where for many, many decades, the culture and the church have generally been at peace with one another. That's not as true anymore as it was, say, 50 years ago. But in general, the culture and the church have kind of been at peace with one another. Um, the natural thing to do as the, as the culture changes is to just go along with it. Right. And we have to always be careful that going along with the culture doesn't mean uh, neglecting something in God's word or neglecting a teaching of God's word. And there's a couple things where I think that's happened uh, in marriage in the church where the church has had some blind spots along the way in the last 20, 50, 100 years. I'm not exactly sure, depending on what you're talking about. Uh, where the church has had some blind spots on what God's word says about marriage. So I'm thinking here about some of the things um, that have gone on in the church around divorce, uh, fertility issues, and some other things we'll talk about later on. But I don't want to get into all the messy details right now. What I want to say is that we always need to approach an issue or a topic as Christians by saying, we're going to look at what the Bible says about this. And no matter what happens, no matter what I come away seeing that the Bible says, I'm not going to try and explain it away. I'm going to accept it as God's word. And I'm going to conform my life to it. And if that means that I realize that I've done something in the past that was sinful, I'm going to repent and receive the forgiveness that Christ wants me to receive. And... That will be good enough for me because the blood of Christ covers a multitude of, or uh, the, the blood of Christ covers all sins. And um, because of the blood of Christ, we can be at peace with God and at peace with one another. And if that means that we have to admit that the church was wrong about something for 20 years, then we have to admit the church was wrong about something for 20 years. What we're going to do now is teach it rightly. Right. And uh, that is an important attitude for us to take on. And I think that it's an easy attitude for Christians to take on if they're just honest about it at the the beginning. Right. At the outset, if we say we're going to no matter what the Bible says about this, we're going to look at it carefully and we're going to conform ourselves to God's word. So and I give you an example um, with this all this Roe v. Wade stuff going on um, as you know, and I think all of you are uh, also, I am very fervently pro-life. I mean, I think an abortion is an evil from the devil. It's child sacrifice. Um, it's murder. And it's a great thing that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And I would, I, I would say that from the pulpit. I have said that from the pulpit. I will say it from the pulpit again. When abortion first started becoming popular in America, um, before the even before the 1970s. I think Roe was, what, 73, right? Um, The LCMS was not, in its literature, was not clear about whether or not abortion was sinful. It, because it, it, it just started to kind of become popular 
and it was obviously being advertised as just a medical procedure, um, the same way that it's kind of advertised now as, oh, well, it's just a clump of cells, it's not a real baby yet, um, and, and so on and so forth. And the church kind of wasn't paying attention. And if you go back, you can, I can give you certain documents and books and things that were published, um, 50s, 60s, uh, by the LCMS that kind of said, well, you know, it's your own choice, or uh, basically they, they were weak on the issue. They had a blind spot. And then all of a sudden, um, well, there, there were, there's a number of things that, historically things that happened, but as time went on, and as abortions, and after Roe v. Wade, and as abortion became more clear uh, of what it really was, um, to the church, the church woke up. And uh, an organization called Lutherans for Life started, and um, it actually started, interesting factoid, at my home church, Zion Lutheran Church in Avila, of Avila, Arkansas, um, by uh, a lady named, um, my mind just blanked. Uh, she wrote a book called Who Broke the Baby? And it was the first thing published by a Lutheran, uh, LCMS Lutheran at the time, that was fervently pro-life. Anyway, long story short, the church woke up. And fast forward however many years, however many decades later, and um, Lutherans have been fighting for life uh, in the public sphere uh, for decades now. And when Rebecca and I were in college, uh, it was Lutherans who led the March for Life. Uh, I was in the front row with Rebecca holding the banner that said March for Life 2016 or whatever it was that we went, 2015, I think. Um, and so that was because the, the church and the pastors and the people decided, hey, you know what? We're going to conform ourselves to God's word no matter what the culture is doing. Okay, so when it comes to marriage, uh, there are going to be issues that come up that uh, I think the church has been lax on in the past within our lifetimes. And um, I think the church is in a place of waking up now, especially I, I think a lot of things are logical uh, progressions. And especially now where the logical progression of the culture has gotten to the point of um, not only homosexual marriage, but even pedophilic marriage. Um, at this point that people are wanting to have, uh, we have to say, wait, let's get back to the basics. What does God's word say about marriage? So we'll, co we'll come to those things, but those two things I wanted to point out. One, uh, don't get too depressed about all the bad issues surrounding marriage because overall marriage is just a wonderful, amazing, good blessing. And two, uh, when we approach marriage issues, we need, and, and this is true with anything, but when we approach marriage issues, uh, we need to be coming at it with an attitude that we're going to conform ourselves to God's word, uh, no matter what it says. So, all right, first section here, what is marriage? It's only a moderately large topic. What is marriage? A contract? Yeah, and I that's that's uh so this kind that kind of gets to the point of what we're going to talk about in, in a different section which is who regulates marriage, the church or the state. And for the state, it certainly is a contract. And um, I'm going to make the claim that it's certainly no less than a contract. Uh, that it there is a contractual element to it. And that's important because um, one of the things we'll talk about is its binding nature, that it binds two people together uh, for the good of themselves, for the good of society, for the good of their children. It, it, it cements these two people together into this one flesh union. Um, and that's a, a vow. Uh, when we think about marriage vows and the contract, the the, these vows, which are kind of the terms of the contract, right, uh, from a Christian perspective, these are made before God, right? And these are made um, publicly um, that they would be held. 
And so uh, con- the contract language is good. Um, there's more to marriage, I think, than just it being a contract, but the contract language is good. What What did you say, Marcia? It says a blessing from God. Yeah, a blessing. I mean, out, out of all the people in the world, you finally found someone that's not... That's not an accident. I don't, I don't feel as though that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. God provides our spouses, um, and it is, it is a blessing. Right. It is for the purpose of God blessing His people. Um, that's something we'll talk about. The, the next section we're going to get to is what does God intend for marriage? And the first thing we want to say there is that it, God intends to bless His people. Um, all right. So, any other things you want to throw out there that we're going to talk about? Yeah. Well, Steve. I Gene Garten, thank you. Yeah, yeah Gene Garten. And also, Julie and I... Uh, I, knew, I knew her growing up. ...went to the uh, pro-life march one January, and it was cold. It is cold. And uh, we, we carried poles, not at the initials. Yeah, yeah. Parade, but toward the end, everybody took turns, took pictures, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mostly, we were the only Lutherans there, though. It was a very small yeah. core group of Lutherans. Everybody else was like Baptist. Catholic. Yeah, and and it that that like grew, it grew and grew every year. Um, what year was that? Do you remember? Thereabouts. I don't even know what decade. I don't even know what decade. I mean, I got a picture here. It was we my were, birthday. That's we were there once for May Day for marriage. And, mm. uh, well, that was after that. Huh? Was it in Memphis? No, no, it was in no, Washington, Washington D.C. Yeah. Okay. In January. But yeah, uh, they had a May Day for marriage because they were. Uh, you know, marriage is under attack. So I think James Dobson had that up, and people that listen to his program. Right. So, so we've been to Washington a couple of times. Yep. I think we were there before you guys were there. Though. Yeah. Yeah. We were protesters. Yeah, we were protesters. May Day for marriage was more just listening to speakers, the, but the, yeah, the March for Life was marching around the. Mall. mall. Yeah, yeah, the mall. Yeah. I went in the Smithsonian to warm my feet up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the people uh, that we stayed with, if they did Luther Witness or one of those magazines they put in there, that they were willing to put people up. Right. And so we stayed at this one family's home. Very nice people. But their furs had just gone out. So, it was interesting. Yeah, yeah well, because they always have it at the nearest. Uh, the nearest like Saturday or whatever, whatever day it is that they have it uh, to the to the anniversary of Roe, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that's how it was presented. Anyhow, um, back to marriage. So, um, the first thing we want to start off with. So, blessing contract. Those are good. Uh, the, and this kind of go into why I say about conforming ourselves to God's word is that this is a divine institution. In other words, it's an institution. Um, by God Himself, and uh, th- it was instituted. So there, you can think of other divine institutions in the Bible, right? So circumcision is a divine institution. The Lord's Supper is a divine institution. Baptism is a divine institution. Pastors are a divine institution. The church is a divine institution, right? There's sacraments. sacraments. I mean, there's other things that God. Anything that God gives in the sense of you know there's a instituting of it in the bible um or divine institutions uh so like I, yeah the sacraments even the church itself um it depends on how narrow or broad of a definition you want to put under institution but the thing that is special about marriage is that it is instituted before the fall into sin before the fall and the sin, there's nothing else 
like marriage that is instituted before the fall into sin for the good of humankind. I mean, think about all the things that you, don't, you wouldn't even think even really matter, but are, are given after the fall into sin or change, uh, you know, dramatically change between the Garden of Eden and after the Garden of Eden. So, you know, the clothes that they wear have to change. The food that they eat has to change. Their, even their very relationship with God, where prior they're talking to God, walking around in the garden, and then that's not the case anymore. God has to come especially to, you know, prophets and in, in the cloud and fire and then, you know, eventually in prayer and eventually, obviously, of course, in, the, in Jesus Christ. But um, even the way that God relates to man and the way that they, God communicates to man changes dramatically after the fall and the sin. But one thing does not change from before the fall and after the fall, and that is marriage. Right? Marriage fundamentally and basically stays the same. Uh, it is corrupted by man's own sinfulness. Right? So it, th- there, there are misuses of marriage by man's own sinfulness. Um, and some of the curses that are giving, given after the fall and sin relate to marriage so that um, the woman's desire is going to be to be over her, man, her husband. Um, that changes after fall and sin. That's, and that is sin applied in marriage. But marriage itself as an institution does not change. Uh, marriage is still one, one man and one, and one woman. And um, this is a good, good thing. So it's a, um, as we said, uh, a good divine institution. So uh, what I want to do is open, go ahead and open up to Genesis 1 and 2, if you have your Bibles. I can, you can grab one or I can get you one if you don't have one. Uh, stay honest on time here. And I'm just going to kind of skim through this. And uh, I want you to, to keep track of the word good. Keep track of the word good. So, let's see here. The first instance of good is in verse 3, or verse 4, excuse me. Uh, so, God said, let there be light. That's verse 3. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And... God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and morning the first day, okay? And then this repeats over and over again throughout the days of creation where God uh, sees what he's made and he calls it good. So um, my eyes are just skimming the page here. If you skip down to verse 12, the earth plant brought forth plants, vegetation, produced seed according to its kind and trees that bear fruit with seed in it, each according to their own kind. And God saw that it was Good, okay. Good, good, good. Um, and this goes on for the first so many days of creation, the first five days of creation, um, verse 18 and 19, uh, to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. Uh, and God saw that it was good. Okay, so creation is good over and over again. And then I want you to skip over to chapter two. Skip over to chapter 2, and uh, if you look at chapter 2 and chapter 1 and their relation time-wise to each other, do you know how this works? Chapter 2 of Genesis is a zooming in on the sixth day of creation, right? So the end of chapter 1 actually happens time in the timeline after chapter 2. So chap- chapter 2 is uh, happens in um, verses 26 uh, through 30 or so uh, of chapter 1. So chapter 1, 26 through 30 or so, uh, that's where chapter 2 fits in time-wise. So all throughout chapter 1 so far, God's saying, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. Even on the sixth 
sixth day when he makes the animals, um, in 1 verse 25, he says it's good, okay? And then in chapter 2 verse 18, which is happening whenever he God has made Adam, right? He's made Adam out of the dust and breathed into him the breath of life and all of that. Um, because in 126, right, God says, let us make man in our own image, and he creates man and woman, and it kind of happens all at once. Genesis 2, we zoom in on that, and he's created man, but he hasn't yet created Eve. He hasn't yet created woman. So Genesis 2, verse 18, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good. So we have this big interruption there. Good, 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 good. Okay, it's only actually like five goods, but good, 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 good. Not good. Not good. Even though man is made, right? Even though man, man has been made, but woman has not been made. I will make a helper who is a suitable partner for him. That's talking about marriage, right? This is, this is Christian marriage. And in um, Genesis uh, we're going to read all of 18 through 24 in a minute, and that's going to be really our definition of marriage. Um, this is the Bible's definition of marriage. Uh, when the man says, uh, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will remain united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's, that's, Christ, that's marriage, right? That the man and the woman are joined together, and they're becoming one flesh, okay? And this is necessary for, now let's go back over to chapter 1, verse 31, after, well, let's go back up to 27, 127, God created man, the man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, so after we had good, 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 not good, then he creates male and female. And then verse 31 of chapter 1, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Very good. So it's good, good, good. There's just man. Not good. Then there's marriage. Very good. And so uh, this is um, the only institution like this, that this is the crown of God's creation is marriage. That is this amazingly good blessing that it puts a, it puts a crown on top of all of creation. Uh, that God is going to use this, this marriage between this man and this woman um, to, I need to keep my Bible open, to, to do what um, he commands them to do, which is that they're going to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This is going to be how God's going to fill up his creation is, is um, with these people. And the, the people are the crown of the creation. I mean, the animals and the sky and the, the, the land, and the, that's all good. But it's not very good. It's not complete until he has, he creates us out of his love in his own image, in his own image. Um, and so this divine institution, it is uh, the... While it is corrupt by sin after the fall into sin, it is the only institution like this made by God before the fall into sin, and it is extremely good for that reason. Um, this is how God designed people to, to live, is in marriage. Um, let, me, let me jump over, actually, really quick to the handout. So the handout's just for you to have. I'm not going to use it to teach from, but this is from like the first couple pages of that book that I, I referenced. Um, let me write that down. It's um, for better, not for worse. If you can find a copy, if you um, you can borrow mine if you really like to read and um, you promise you won't lose it. But um. The, this is from the first couple pages, and he outlines uh, what he calls the church's marriage code. That, um, and this is kind of uh, this idea of conforming to God's word. That he says, look, first of all, uh, before we get started talking about 
all the different aspects of marriage that I'm going to go on for for like 600 pages or whatever it is. Uh, let's agree about the basic code of, of what we're going to call marriage. What does the church mean when it says marriage? And he outlines these like 12, 12 points. Uh, one of the points he makes in there, uh, and I just, I'm giving it to you to go home and read on your own, but um, one, of the, one of the points he makes in there is that this is the normal state of humans, that this is what 99.9% of humans should strive for and should look for and uh, are naturally going to go towards in their life. Um, and that's because this, and that's all because this is how God made people, right? It is not good for man to be alone. We get a little hiccup with that theologically um, in 1 Corinthians 7 when Paul talks about celibacy and we have to talk about what he means by that. Uh, we'll get to that later. That's one of those issues in marriage we'll talk about later. But uh, my claim right now is that this is the normal state for humans, is the way that God creates man and woman uh, before the fall and the sin. There are instances of celibacy, but um, that's not really what we seek, right? We, we do seek Christian marriage. So uh, this is a divine institution. Um, an, another thing, if you have your books with you, i to stay honest on, on time here. I, don't, I forgot my watch again. Um, we got about 15 minutes or so, a little over. If you have your Lutheranism 101 books with you, there's another way that we want to talk about this institution, and it's being divine, being from God. And that's the, this quote that Luther has that they have on there on the side of the page. Uh, do you have the page number at the front where it says, what is marriage? 115. 115. So if you're if you have your book and or if you know you want to look at the book, it's page 115. They have this quote by Luther on the side where it he calls marriage um, a divine estate. A divine estate. And that's kind of an archaic word. Um but what Luther is referencing there is this theology that Lutherans have uh, of, the th- of three estates. And the three estates are, the, are, are marriage and family, which marriage and – you can't really separate out marriage and family. We'll talk about that later. The church – and uh, the state, or kind of the government, or the world, right? And what he means by a state is kind of a realm in which you live, right? That you have these institutions by God of marriage and family, and the church, and then the state, and these are kind of uh, these are realms in which you live. I, I've talked about this with the men's group before. We called them fortresses uh, because these are the places that men are to carry out their responsibilities of provision and protection. But if you kind of think about them as uh, concentric circles, you live uh, in the middle, right? You live here. And Luther's point about the three estates is that when you have vocations, that is callings in life, when you have uh, jobs that you're called to do, you should focus on them starting inward and going out. So you should start with here at the center of your life with marriage and family and then go out to church and then move out uh, to serving those, your neighbor's uh, in the in the realm of the state, and that is because this is these are levels of foundations in life, right? So it sounds kind of weird for the church to talk about or for Christians to talk about marriage being in a sense more important than the state, 
We don't really mean it's more important than the state, but it is more foundational. And you can think about it this way, that, that marriage is the first thing God institutes before, even before the fall into sin. Remember, where man and woman is joined together and you have this family unit, right? What, what some people like to call the nuclear family. And then from that one flesh union, the fruit of that one flesh union is kids. And so you have a family and you can't separate out marriage and family because that's what a one flesh union creates is children. That's the fruit of the marriage. And that is the base unit of everything, right? That The family unit is the unit that's going to make up the people in the church, right? And then uh, the those family units within churches and of of course, we factor in, you know, un, there's unbelievers as well, but um, if we're thinking about this just from a kind of purely Christian perspective, there's the family units within the churches, and those units make up the broader society, right? And so everything starts with the family. And this is why, I mean, this is why governments should care about families and traditionally always have. Right, and that, and when we get to that question of who regulates marriage, the church or the state, the the church has always said, well, the state should have some skin in the game, so to speak, when it comes to marriage, because it's strong marriages and strong families that make a good society. Uh, that's that's why Marxism just doesn't work, is because Marxism wants to treat everyone as an individual, and. Uh, that simply does not build a society, right? If you don't have uh, they, a good, a co- what we'd call like an economy of marriage. I always make the point that the word economy comes from the Greek word oikos, which if you've eaten the yogurt, you might know, um, means house. Economies come from homes, right? Economies are built by homes. And so um, when Luther calls it a divine estate. This is what he's talking about: that the marriage as an institution is the base of everything, and that I think this is why God has to institute it before the fall into sin. Is whether or not Adam and Eve fall into sin, marriage is the basis of the the people that God creates on this earth, right? If the, this is how God institutes them to fill the earth, to subdue the earth, this is how God creates. Uh, in this world. Every time God creates another human, he uses a marital act to do so. Um, all right, so that's the estates. Uh, the, the next thing we want to talk about as far as what is marriage is just to get to the Bible's straight definition of marriage. And uh, that, that's from Genesis 2, 18 to 24. Um, so I'm just going to read that. Real quick here. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is a suitable partner for him. Out of the soil, the Lord God had formed every wild animal and every bird of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that became its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for Adam, no helper was found who was a suitable partner for him. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And as the man slept, the Lord God took a rib and closed up the flesh where it had been. The Lord God built a woman from the rib that he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will remain united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So the point I want to make here is that the Bible has a very specific definition of marriage. And uh, the Bible's definition of marriage, uh, we often talk about in our culture today as one man, one woman. Now that's, that's part of it, right? One man, one man, one woman. That he starts with Adam, and Adam can't be alone. Adam Adam has these tasks that he needs to do and he needs 
a helper with them. He needs a partner, a partner that is uh, suitable or complementary or um, that that fits him, right? Uh, that's that's what that word is talking about. I don't know what your translations say. A, a partner, a suitable partner. What are your What do your translations say? Yeah, there's helper, and then that when in um, verse uh, like 18, I will make a helper who is a what for him? Suitable. Yeah. So the the word there is is getting at this idea of that they are fit for one another, right? That they uh, a helper that uh, is molded to him in the right way, right? That that can accomplish what needs uh, to be accomplished for the good of God's creation, uh, to make the creation very good, right? And Adam then goes through all the animals, right? So bestiality is excluded because none of the animals fit, right? Um, Homosexuality is excluded because he doesn't take another man, right? Right? Pedophilia is excluded because God does not make a child here. And what he makes is a woman, right? And one who is perfectly matched to Adam. Um, and when, you know, perfectly matched in every way. And so, so, first of all, marriage gives us this definition. We don't really even need to question it beyond that because we're Christians here. And we can see, okay, this is what God makes and that they are joined together that's one flesh now, and uh, they are now one unit. They are bound together, and that that you know that can be good enough for us. But what I would go on to say is that you can see this definition of marriage. That uh, oh, and I, I should go on and say so. So far, we've kind of talked about this is biologic. They're biologically suitable for one another, right? It's a man and a woman. It's not a like I said, a man and an animal or a man and a child or a man and a man. It's a man and a woman. And there's one of each of them and they're perfectly bound together. A man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife. Um, but also they're perfect for each other in that in the order that they're made and in the order that they're given, right? So Adam is the one who's given all these tasks and he needs a helper. So uh, the roles of in marriage are already given in this definition too that man is the head and woman is the helper man is the leader woman is the one who submits to him uh, the roles of, of marriage are given in that definition as well um, and we'll talk about Ephesians 5 and what submission means and all of that uh, later when we talk about what God intends for marriage but this is the definition right uh, biologically, spiritually, sociologically, uh, in their roles, all of it is fits into this definition that they are one man and one woman and they uh, come together and they become one flesh, right? And this is all Genesis 18, 2, 18, 24. Um, okay. What I would go on to say, beyond just the clear biblical definition, which is very clear and simple, is that you can also see this in God's creation, right? When God creates them this way, this is uh, the way that it works. This is the way he created them. And this is important when we get to that question again of who regulates marriage, the church or the state, and does marriage matter in the state, because the the reason the reason that question matters is because you have some Christians nowadays saying, well, the world's just going to do whatever the world's going to do, and they're going to marry gays and they're going to marry transgenders, and we just need to not care about it. Let's just separate from the world, and we'll have our own marriages blessed by the church, and they can have their marriages, and we can just all forget about it. Well, that's wrong, because Marriage is made to go out, right? And uh, marriage is the base unit of society. Another word for state here really would just be society. Um, 
And we can't have a functioning society if we don't have functioning marriages and families. Okay? So this matters. Like, this... A lot of people would say, well, like, let, just let, let, the, let homosexuals do homosexual things in the privacy of their own home, and it doesn't affect me. Well, it does affect you, right? Because it affects, it affects the culture, and it, um, it might not directly affect you know, your bank account or whatever, but it affects the world that you live in, and, God, and it, it affects God's creation which you are given to steward and to take care of. And God, I mean, the whole world belongs to God, right? Not just, not just inside these four walls. The whole world belongs to God. And God created it to work in a certain way. So anyway, it matters. And when we talk about uh, what marriage is to the culture, we can't just say, well, Genesis 2 says this, and you got to believe us if we're talking to unbelievers, right? They're not going to... That doesn't matter to them. They, they already reject God's word. But we do need to be able to say, well, creation, or what we might call natural law, that is God's will revealed in natural ways, that's Romans 1, is still clear. And it would be bad for society to have gay marriage uh, because that ruins the institution of marriage when we when we talk about marriage as an institution in the state this is kind of just an aside to what you should think of it as something that people marry into right god made the form god made the institution god established it it's not uh it's not like each marriage is its own separate thing right where um these people are uh they're their own married couple and marriage is whatever marriage is to them right and these people over here marriage is whatever it is is to them marriage is something you you marry into and um yeah when i uh when rebecca and i went through premarital counseling um i haven't had the pleasure of doing premarital counseling counseling yet um i've i've done marriage counseling which is kind of in the sense same thing but um when I did, when Rebecca and I went through premarital counseling, uh, we, our pastor, um, encouraged us to not mess with the service at all, right? He said, just do what's in the book, and and all these you know traditions that go along with marriage that um, people constantly want to change, like the woman taking the man's name, and uh, the. Um, like marriage bans, where uh, do you know what marriage bans are? Uh, have you heard that terminology before? Yeah, when it's announced. Um, uh, so traditionally, you know, it always shows it in the movies that uh, does anyone have a reason these two shouldn't get married? Like during the ceremony, that traditionally it was actually announced a month or a week, a couple weeks beforehand in the congregation as part of like church announcements, um, and th- that's called the marriage bans. And uh, there's a right for that in the agenda. Anyway, uh, he said, uh, you should do all that because the marriage isn't about you. <laughs> the marriage is something, this is an institution that God put into creation that's been carried on throughout the entire history of the world that you are entering into. And it's not yours to be special with, Right? This is this is designed by God for you to be uh, a part of, and uh, so that that was really good advice, and we did all that, and it was it was great, and I don't um, you know feel any uh, or I should you know Rebecca doesn't feel any like less special because she doesn't have a hyphenated name or something like that, um, which the theology of why women take God, uh, the man's name is actually very beautiful. It has to do with what happens here in Genesis 2 that um, the name Ad- Adam na- names Eve, right? He names all the animals and none of them are good enough, but then he gets to name Eve and what does he name her? He, name hers. he names her woman because she was taken out of man. In other words, she gets his name, right? So that's, that's where that comes from. Um, 
and that's why the the woman takes the man's last name because it's like man, woe man, Myers, Rebecca Myers, right? Same thing. So uh, anyhow, that's that's an aside. But marriage is something you marry into. Uh, what was I talking about that that led me to that? Shoot. Um, oh, so marriage is built into God's creation, right? And so when we talk about this to outsiders, we need uh, to unbelievers, right? We need to be able to make a case for natural law, and you can see all of this within natural law, right? So the 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 good old saying is that God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, right? And biologically, if you think about it, Adam and Steve doesn't work, right? They don't fit together. They don't. And um, you, you can't. You they try and make them, and that just causes weird diseases and things that you don't want to think about. And um, so, so biologically, right, you can see how in natural law this is made. Um, when you think about man as the protector and provider and the one who carries the responsibility, his body is built for that, uh, right? Man, that's why man in general is stronger and woman in general is the weaker vessel, as Paul says. And uh, women are naturally more nurturing um, for uh, the helping uh, in the sphere of the home, which we'll talk about why all this language is, is biblical, um, that the, and why it's biblical to talk about the man working, doing the work outside the home and the woman doing the work inside the home. Um, So biologically, physically, um, mentally, right? Men are more analytical. Uh, women are more uh, emotive, and that serves the purposes uh, that they're given. And uh, you could go on and on. That in natural law, you can see in all these realms how the biblical definition of marriage is the form of marriage that society needs to have at its root. Uh, if it if it wants to be a successful society. Um, all right. What time is it? Okay. Well, we started 10 minutes late. So I'm going to finish up just this one final point. And that, uh, so we got marriage as a divine institution, marriage as a divine estate, uh, the definition of marriage from Genesis 2. And then finally, um, marriage is an image of Christ and his church. Uh, so this is Ephesians 5, that when God creates marriage and then after the fall into sin, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem the world and believers are the one true holy Catholic and apostolic church and the Bible speaks of Christ and his church being a marriage uh, man and woman is an image of Christ in his church. And these things are intimately connected. So um, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. And the, and, and the, the thing about, about this, the application of this, is that both the way that the Bible speaks about how Christ and his church should relate and the way that the Bible speaks about how man and his wife should relate then teach us about each other. Uh, they, they teach they teach about each other. So uh, when Paul is talking in Ephesians 5 and he's talking about the beauty of marriage and the glory of marriage and how husbands and wives should relate together, he quotes Genesis 2, this is verse 31, and he says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will be one flesh. And then he gets so caught up um, in talking about Christ and his church and the husbands and wives that he gets confused as to which he's talking about. And he says, this is a great mystery, but I'm still talking about Christ and his church, right? So for Paul, the bigger reality is Christ and his church at this point, right? The bigger reality is redemption and, and unity with God, that the curse of what happened in the garden with sin is destroyed. And, uh, we, we have, uh, We've been reconciled with God through, through Christ. That's the bigger reality.
But marriage as this divine institution, God worked it out for the good of man that this institution would then teach us about that reconciliation and that redemption and the way that uh, we should relate to Christ um, as his church, that we should submit to him in all things, that he would give us and send us his blessings, that he would take the responsibility for us and provide for us as a husband does for his wife. Um, And you could go on and on and on. So that's what marriage is. It's divine institution. Genesis 2, 18-24. Divine estate given for the basis of church and society. And it's an image of Christ and his church. Uh, Other aspects, obviously, we will continue exploring. But I think that gives us some good working definitions of what is marriage. Um, Next time, we're going to talk about what God intends for marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? Where does God want marriage to go? Any questions or comments? I just have one comment. Yeah. Um, in chapter 2, verse 24, yeah. it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother. There is no father and mother yet, so explain that to me, because that's before the fall. Yeah, so um, there's a couple of different options here, and uh, I'm not going to take a strict stance on on them but uh i mean one is divine foreknowledge that um there this is basically you know prophetic that that god you know god gives adam these words to say and uh from when when god god gave adam these words to say and he he spoke them prophetically that this is how it would take place, that a man would leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife. Um, I think that's probably the most uh, simple, I guess. Um, and, and other options are that the timeline, as, as I said, the timeline is mixed up in Genesis 1 and 2, right? And so, and, and ultimately it's, well, I won't go there, but the timeline's kind of mixed up and um, that... When Adam says this, uh, they've already had children, right? Um, that there would be like that. This would be a much a little bit of a longer timeline. That uh, now I think this all happens on day six, which means that the first option would be the the main option. But another option would be that um, this happens. And they're they're married, right? And then between verses 26 or uh, between verses uh, 22 and 23, um, later on, because uh, we don't we don't know what the timeline is between when Adam and Eve are created and creation is complete, and when the serpent enters the garden, and we also don't know if they had children before Satan came or not. Um, and there's a lot of questions there. I mean, it's just not it's just not super clear. I tend to go with the most, what I consider the most natural reading, which is basically how I think we tend to think of it, um, that this all happens, these words are spoken prophetically, not very long after creation, Adam and Eve fall into sin, and then they have kids, and Cain and Abel happens kind of in the order that the Bible presents it. I mean, I just kind of think that makes sense. But um, you could, some, some people do, I think, say that, so basically between verses 22 and 23, some time elapses. They've had children. Uh, they see how this is going to work, and he then says this. Um, and that all happens kind of after the seventh day of creation at some point. Uh, but I would just say that these words are spoken prophetically, Right. And um, we'll get, we will talk some about, uh, we'll talk about procreation as one of the things God intends for marriage. And we'll see there about how fertility is built into creation in a certain way. And I think that also helps answer it, that um, the reproductive seed producing things, um, are built into creation in a certain way where they have a father and mother. 
um, because God gives certain things fertility and not other things fertility, right? So God gives the plants fertility, he gives the animals fertility, and he gives man fertility. And that fertility happens by them producing seed according to their kind, right? And that happens with man and woman, uh, that this one flesh union is the thing that produces the seed uh, according to its kind. So, anyhow. Uh, good question, though. Any other questions or comments? All right. Let's end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good gift of marriage that you've given us and the good gift of your word. We pray that you would help us to learn from your word better and better what marriage is and how we may use our marriages to serve you and how we may serve each other through the gift of marriage in this life. We pray all of this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.